right. Good morning. Good to see everybody. If you have your Bibles open to Romans 3 once again. This morning we're going to finish this chapter and we're also going to go all the way through chapter 4. So moving through this a little quick this morning, but I just love this part of Romans and I've been looking forward to this sermon today because what we're about to look at is just absolutely chock full of good doctrinal meat that we can sink our teeth into. Last week we finally got to look at the good news where Paul says that Jesus came and did for us what we are completely incapable of doing ourselves. He had been showing all through the first part of the letter that good behavior, obedience to the law, or even being born a Jew doesn't make anyone right with God. And then last week he showed how only Jesus makes us right. When we put our faith in the fact that Jesus is our only hope to be made right with God as a free gift of his grace, he makes us right. It's not something that we can do ourselves. It's something that only God can do for us. And then we learned last week that the whole reason God did this, the ultimate reason, was for his glory. He created a situation where we could take absolutely no credit at all for anything when it comes to our salvation because it is all his doing. And so let's pick up where we left off last week, verse 27 of chapter 3 and Let's all stand together as we receive the word of the Lord today. Where then is boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? Of works? No, but by a law of faith. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since indeed God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith is one. Do we then nullify the law through faith? May it never be. On the contrary, we establish the law. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for your word. And Lord, I pray that the truth of what we look at today, God, will just burst forth brightly in our hearts Uh, Just as the way the sun is today, we've been through so many days of of grayness and clouds and just gloom when it comes to the weather, Lord. And God, I know there's people in here today who can say that that pretty much describes their whole attitude, their life right now. But God, I pray through your Holy Spirit, you would take this truth this morning and just make the clouds go away. Lord, the light of your truth would shine in. You're the only one that can do that. So I'm asking you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. I just love movies that have surprising endings. You know, most movies today, I mean, you can pretty much predict how it's going to turn out. I mean, most movies are not very original. It's pretty much the same old story that we've seen a thousand times, just told in a little different way. And so they're pretty predictable. But there are some, just a few, that are very creative, very original, and they take a surprising turn. And those are the ones that I like, especially the ones that have the kind of ending that all of a sudden makes sense of everything else that you had just watched in the movie. Probably the one movie that sticks out to me the most in that kind of category is the movie The Sixth Sense. 
How many of you remember that? It's been a few years now. You know the movie where the little boy is like, I see dead people. That movie. Bruce Willis is one of the main characters playing a child psychologist who is trying to help this little boy who claims that he can see people who have already died. And there are some scenes in the movie where Bruce is at home and it is clear that there's some type of trouble in his marriage. He he and his wife seem to have this cold relationship. She seems to ignore him whenever he's in the house, and even when he says something to her, she just doesn't respond at all, just kind of ignores him. And so the whole time you're trying to figure out what's going on. What is causing this tension in their marriage here? Why does she seem so sad all the time? The surprising ending is, and if you haven't seen it, I'm going to ruin it for you here in a minute, but... I mean, you should have seen it by now, so it doesn't matter. It's, it's an old movie. The surprising ending is that Bruce Willis's character has been dead this whole time, and he doesn't even realize it. Nobody realizes it until the end. It's a very surprising ending. And knowing that he's been dead this whole time all of a sudden helps you make sense of the whole rest of the movie that you've watched. Now you know why his wife seems so depressed all the time and why it seemed like she was ignoring him and not paying any attention to him. It's because he wasn't there. He was dead the whole time. And so the climax of the movie made sense of the whole thing. And when you get to the surprising ending, everyone is left going, oh, now I get it. Now it all makes sense. In this text that we just read, Paul is essentially saying that that's what faith in the gospel does. Look at that last verse again, verse 31. He says, do we nullify the law through faith? May it never be. On the contrary, we establish the law. You know, there are some people who believe that the Old Testament just isn't necessary anymore at all. That the New Testament has now made the Old Testament obsolete and so we shouldn't even be reading or, or looking at anything in the Old Testament anymore. But Paul clearly states right here that that's not the case at all. He says that being made right through faith in Jesus actually establishes it. He's saying that it helps us make sense of it. It helps us to understand it even better because that is what the Old Testament has always been about. The ending of the movie, The Sixth Sense, established what the whole movie had always been about. And that's what Paul is saying faith does. It establishes what the Old Testament has always been about. This is why I always say whenever you read something in the Old Testament, you've got to read it through the lens of the gospel. You've got to read it knowing that what you are reading is pointing to Jesus, and He is the fulfillment of everything that you're reading. And if you uh, read it without that in mind, you're going to read and interpret it wrong. You're going to read the Old Testament the same way that the Jews did when they didn't realize that Jesus was the Messiah. And what will happen is you will default automatically to making those stories or the lessons in there all about you and completely missing Jesus which is a whole point of God's word. It is to point us to Jesus in anything that we are reading. Just like the movie, when you realize that the Old Testament is all about Jesus, you go, oh, now I get it. Now it makes sense. And then in chapter 4, Paul gives an example of just how it does this. 
Look at this. Starting in verse 1, he says, What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, is found? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. So he's talking about Abraham, the most important figure in all of Jewish history. He was who the Jewish people considered their father because he is who they originally came from. Before Abraham, there was no set-apart people group chosen specifically and blessed by God. He started the Jewish culture having received the instruction that every male was to be circumcised as a sign that they were the only ones who were in covenant relationship with God. And so Paul is saying that not even Abraham was made right by his actions. It wasn't because he obeyed God. It wasn't because he received the mark. Paul says that if it had been those things, then Abraham would have had something to brag about. He could have at least bragged about it to others and said, look what I did to make myself right with God. But he says he couldn't have bragged about it to God because God, that's not what God accepts in order for us to be made right with him. So how was Abraham made right then? Verse three, for what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Now, notice it doesn't say that he merely believed that God existed. It said that he believed God, which indicates that he believed something God said. Well, what did God say that would make Abraham righteous just for believing in it? Well, let's look back and see. Genesis 15. Starting in verse 1 says this, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, and of course, this is before God changed his name to Abraham. God said, do not fear, Abram, I'm a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me since I'm childless and the heir of my health is Eleazar of Damascus? And Abram said, since you have given me no given no offspring to me, one born in my house is my heir. Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This man will not be your heir, but one who will come forth from your own body. He shall be your heir. And he took him outside and said, Now look toward the heavens and count the stars, if you are able to count them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. Then he believed the Lord, and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. Abraham believed that God would give him a son, and that he would be then the father of many generations. Now, why in the world would Abraham, would, would that make Abraham right with God? Now, here's the deal. Abraham believed the very same thing that is required for us to believe in order for us to be made right with God. Abraham believed the gospel. Now, if you think that that is a bit of a stretch to say that, watch this. Galatians 3, 6, Paul says this. It'll be up on the screen. Even so, Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. Now, look, the scripture, referring back to Genesis 15, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the what? 
preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, all the nations will be blessed in you. It wasn't just that Abraham believed that God would give him a son. It was that Abraham believed the gospel. And that is what made him right before God. Let me show you how. Remember, everything in the Old Testament is pointing to Jesus. Abraham and Sarah were physically incapable of having children. I mean, he was a hundred-year-old man, and she was 90. Not only was Sarah an old woman, but she also had a barren womb. She, she never was able to have children, even when she was younger. And so she is doubly incapable. She is uh, not only infertile, but she is also too old. And so in your notes, you can follow along there, and we're going to look at the parallels between Abraham and the gospel. And the first similarity is that as far as them having children or as far as them being able to realize this promise that God had given them, they were in a hopeless situation. But God promised Abraham that he'd be the father of a great multitude. And so the next thing is, in order to receive the promise... God did what they couldn't do themselves. He did it for them. And what he did is the next parallel. He sent a son. Now watch this. The son God sent was the key to the fulfillment of the promise. The promise could only be fulfilled through the son that God miraculously sent. Sound familiar? This is a shadow of the gospel. This is what Abraham believed in order for him to be made right with God. And so for us, we were completely incapable of doing anything to fix our broken relationship with God. We were in a helpless situation. But God had promised long ago that he would have a people for himself to represent him on earth and to live with him forever. So in order for that to happen, he had to do what we couldn't do ourselves. And what did he do? He sent us a son. The son, Jesus, was the key to the fulfillment of the promise. What Abraham believed that was credited to him as righteousness is the same thing that we believe in order for righteousness to be credited to us. And here's the next point. When it comes to believing the gospel for salvation, for us, we believe in what has happened, what Jesus did. For Abraham, he believed what would happen, what Jesus would do. Regardless of where one was on the historical timeline, it was still a belief in the same thing. Abraham was looking forward to it. We look back to it. Verse 4. Now to the one who works, his wage is not credited as a favor, but as what is due. But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. Paul is still contrasting salvation by works versus salvation by faith. And he says that if someone works for something, then what they receive is what, of course, they were owed for their work. 
if we had to work for our salvation, if we had to, quote, do anything in order to be saved, then it wouldn't be God's grace at all. It would be what we were owed for whatever it was we were required to do, whether it be good behavior or obeying the law or whatever. Sadly, this is how many people think heaven works. If someone is a good person, then they deserve to go to heaven. If someone stayed out of trouble the majority of their life, if they were kind to others, if they did a lot of good deeds along the way, and they even went to church every once in a while, then they deserve the right to go to heaven. The problem with that line of thinking is that God owes no man a thing. God owes nothing. In Job 41.11, God says, Who has given to me that I should repay him? Whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. There is nothing that we can give God that would obligate him to pay us back or do us any favors in any way. You can't give God what he already owns. And he owns everything. And this is a pretty terrifying truth. Because what this means then is we can't bargain with God. Nobody is able to go, God, if you will do this for me, then I promise I will do this for you. And then expect God to be good on that. I mean, you can make that promise all day long, but no matter how good you are holding your end of that bargain up, God is in no way obligated to do for you whatever it is you are asking or expecting him to do. Just because you made the bargain doesn't mean that he agreed to it too. Plus, your bargain is void to begin with before you even made it because God doesn't owe anyone a thing. Not long life, not a good marriage, not believing kids, he owes us nothing. Everything that we have is a gift of his incredible grace. Now, some may think, well, what if I promised in my life? I mean, doesn't he want that? <laughs> you really think you control that? I mean, God could take that life like that if he wanted to. If God owed anything, then it would rob him of his glory. We wouldn't be praising him for his goodness and grace. We'd be praising ourselves for what we did to earn whatever we think we got. So the next point, salvation isn't earned by works. It is given by faith. But even at that, some may think, well, then my faith is what earned my salvation. I mean, couldn't you say that God owes me salvation for me believing in Jesus? No, because you still didn't do anything. Because the Bible says, even your faith to believe is given to you by God. Philippians 1.29 says that belief in Jesus has been granted to us. 1 John 5.20 says that Jesus gives us the understanding of who he is. There is absolutely nothing we can take credit for when it comes to our salvation. God does it all. 
And this answers the question that many people have about how people could be saved before Jesus came. They were saved the same way people are today, by a revelation of truth through the Holy Spirit. See, those of us who are saved, it was because the Holy Spirit revealed to us the truth of who Jesus is and what he has done. And then he gave us the faith to believe it. When you put your faith in Jesus, it was not because you weighed the pros and cons and formulated a decision based on your own intellectual reason. It was because the Holy Spirit himself revealed that truth to you. Next point. We don't discover truth on our own. It is revealed to us by the Holy Spirit. You see, apart from the Holy Spirit, we are completely incapable of seeing the truth of the gospel. The Bible says that in our fallen state of depravity, the condition Paul was exposing all of the, in, in the previous chapters here, it says that our understanding of truth is darkened. It says our ears are deaf to the Creator and our eyes are blind to the things of God. We are incapable of seeing and hearing the truth of the gospel. In order for us to see it and to hear it, the Holy Spirit has to do it. He has to reveal that to us. He opens our eyes to see, our ears to hear, and our hearts to receive it. If you are saved, it is because God gave you the ability to see and understand what Jesus has done. And the same is true for those before Jesus. Abraham was given the revelation of truth of what Jesus would do. Let's read on. Verse 6. Just as David also speaks of the blessing on the man to whom God credits righteousness apart from the works, blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven and whose sins have been covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not take into account. Paul's now using another hero of the Jewish people to illustrate this same truth. Just like Abraham, David was seeing and looking forward to what was to come. The Holy Spirit is the one who revealed that truth to David. I mean, David was talking about something that only Jesus could do. That line there where he says, Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not take into account. The only way for God to not take sin into account is if it has been completely paid for. That's the only way. Sin hadn't yet been completely paid for during David's time. And so he was looking forward to the gospel, what Jesus would do. Just like Abraham, David was given a revelation of what Jesus would do. Whereas we are given the revelation of what Jesus has done. Verse 9. Is this blessing then on the circumcised or on the uncircumcised also? For we say faith was credited to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it credited? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had while uncircumcised, so that he might be the father of all who believe without being circumcised, that the righteousness might be credited to them, and the father of circumcision to those who not only are of the circumcision, but who also follow in the steps of the faith of our father Abraham, which he had while uncircumcised." 
Here's how the gospel makes sense of the Old Testament. Those Jews who had studied the Old Testament were, of course, very familiar with the story of Abraham and ten of every detail of that story. And they would have noticed in that story how Abraham was credited with righteousness even before he received circumcision, even before he did anything. The law hadn't been given nothing. And so there would have been this big question among the biblical scholars of that day is how in the world could Abraham be righteous before he did anything to earn it? How could this be? And here Paul is explaining how because it's not about works it's about faith and they would have read this and gone oh now I get it now it makes perfect sense it had always been about his faith and never about his works I mean some of the things that we read in the Old Testament today that don't seem to make a lot of sense become a whole lot clearer and are more easily understood when you read them in light of the gospel It is the lens through which we are able to interpret all of God's word. Let's read on. For the promise to Abraham or to his descendants that he would be heir of the world was not through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise is nullified. For the law brings about wrath, but where there is no law, there also is no violation. For this reason it is by faith, in order that it may be in accordance with grace... So that the promise will be guaranteed to all the descendants, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, the father of many nations have I made you. In the presence of him who he believed, even God, who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. Now what he just said right there is a huge statement. And it explains even further how Abraham was considered righteous before he even had a chance to do anything. And this goes back again to salvation being all God's doing. You see, apart from Christ, not only does the Bible say all those things I said before about us being blind and deaf and and all that, it also says that we are spiritually dead. Not spiritually asleep. Not spiritually just unconscious, but spiritually dead. As in, there will be a stench kind of dead. Something that is dead can't do anything at all. It can't make itself right. It can't bring itself back to life. It can't make a rational decision. It cannot discern even between truth and error because it's dead. So in order for us to be saved and for our spirit to come to life, God himself has to call it to life. Just like when Jesus called Lazarus from that tomb. Lazarus couldn't do anything on his own because he was dead. He was rotting. But when Jesus told him to come forth, he couldn't help but get up and walk out of that grave. The same thing happened to you at the moment of salvation. God called you from death into life. Yeah, that's something to shout about. Read the rest here. In hope against hope he believed, so that he might become a father of many nations according to that which had been spoken. So shall your descendants be. 
Without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body. Now as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old in the deadness of Sarah's womb. Yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully assured that what God had promised, he was able also to perform. Therefore, it was also credited to him as righteousness. Now, not for his sake only was it written that it was credited to him, but for our sake also, to whom it will be credited, as those who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, he who was delivered over because of our transgressions and was raised because of our justification. So what's the takeaway in all this for us today? Well, remember how I've often said that whenever you read anything in the Bible, you should ask two questions. Number one, what does this tell me about Jesus? Number two, what do I need to repent of? Well, the first thing that jumps out about me, about Jesus, is that he is our only hope. That we are utterly lost, hopelessly lost without him. What we need to repent of is thinking that we can somehow earn our way to God or that he somehow owes us something. Believing that somehow we can, you know, buy some sort of leverage with God, with our good deeds and our promises of all these things that we're going to do. Some of you need to repent of the bitterness that you've had towards God for thinking that he hasn't held up some sort of end of his bargain that you made thinking that God somehow owes you for something that hasn't come along yet. He doesn't owe you. But he is absolutely bathing you in more grace than you could ever imagine. And you're not realizing it because of the bitterness of your heart right now. This morning, I believe he wants to open your eyes to the love and the grace that he is absolutely drowning you in regardless of what you think you don't have. We need to repent of not giving God the full credit that he is due. Another thing that this tells us about Jesus is that we are made righteous in him. He makes us righteous. Our righteousness is not determined by how righteous we act. It is determined by our faith in him and so his righteousness becomes our righteousness. We are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And so what we probably need to repent of is holding on to those things in our life that don't reflect the righteousness that we have been given. And this goes all back to belief. I mean, what we truly believe is reflected in our actions. If we truly believe that we have been made righteousness, that we wear the righteousness of Jesus himself, then our actions will begin to line up with that. And so some of us need to repent of living a certain lifestyle or holding on to things that don't reflect the price that Jesus paid to make us righteous. He has made us righteous, closed us with his righteousness. And some of us are holding on to things that don't reflect that, just using his grace as an excuse to be able to. 
He says, I've made you righteous. Now live out what I've given you. The good news today is that whatever state, whatever condition you find yourself in right now, that can all change in an instant by turning to Jesus. He is our only hope, the revelation of truth. Let's pray. Lord, I am so humbled and in awe of your sovereignty and your love. God, that you would take over and completely do for us what we are incapable of doing on our own. And God, I ask that you would just send a spirit and an attitude of repentance to fall all over this place. To turn from anything that doesn't reflect you, Jesus. That we would just come to the foot of the cross and just fall on our faces. Just in the humility of what has taken place. Lord, I pray for those who have been eat up with bitterness. God, that you would remove that from their hearts right now and you would just, like I prayed before, like the sun shining out there today, let your truth shine into us, God, to transform our minds and to change our hearts. God, that we would actually live out being the people that you have made us. God, your grace is too big for us to comprehend in our own tiny brains. Holy Spirit, we're asking you now, To help us even grasp just a little bit of it. Because I believe that when we do, we would be forever changed. So Holy Spirit, I ask you to come now. I can sense you're already here doing your work. Revealing the Son. Changing our hearts. So we just submit ourselves to you and say, have your way. Father, let your will be done in this place, in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.